Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I want to start this podcast by telling you a story. It's a story about our current Secretary of Defense, James Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, The story is that Mad Dog Mattis has a bear skin rug in his home, and apparently the bear is alive, but he's just too scared of Mattis to move. (laughs) Now, I love this story because it tells you something about James Mattis, and what I want to talk to you about today are some of the generals in the Trump administration. As you know, if you listen to this podcast, I am not an outspoken advocate for the Trump administration. Uh, Well, I should say for Donald Trump. I respect a lot of the people in his administration. I think Mike Pence and others have chosen some brilliant people for the administration as a whole. Um, I'm dubious about Donald Trump. He's obviously a mixture. Uh, He's obviously offensive. Uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast, where I am on, where I am on race issues and, uh, where I am on economic justice, et cetera. And so I'm a little bit dubious about Mr. Trump personally, but, uh, the team that is being assembled around him is really wonderful. And since there's been some controversy of late about the generals in his administration, I thought I would address this for just a moment. As you know, as, I said, as I've now said about three times, if you listen to this podcast, uh, you know I have a lot of connection to the military. I want to say very carefully, I have never served in uniform. Uh, I went to high school, uh, I'm sorry, I graduated high school in 1976. Um, that wasn't a time when, uh, there was any kind of a draft or there was much of an emphasis on military. There was no pressing war. We were in a voluntary, uh, status by that point. And, um, it, my timing was as much as I love the military, honor it, grew up as a military brat, have military officers in my family line for generations back. It just wasn't an emphasis for me. I have West Point grads in my family. Um, I've got major officers going back for years. My family fought at Gettysburg, fought at Yorktown. I mean, I just have that whole history. But for some reason, for me, um, it wasn't pressing. The times weren't quite right. Um, and I just never gravitated that way. I was accepted to the U.S. Air Force Academy, uh, turned it down. And um, that's just the way my life went. The only reason I emphasize all that is I wouldn't want anyone to believe that because of what I'm talking about in this podcast, that I'm somehow trying to associate myself with the military for my own self-aggrandizement. But I do have great respect for the U.S. military. Uh, I do speak a great deal at the Pentagon. I live in D.C. half the year. Many, many of my friends are military officers, and, um, and I read military history by the hour. So none of that gives me special cred, but I just want you to know where I'm coming from. There's been a good good deal of concern expressed by the press, uh, by the major media, what some people call the mainstream media, about the number of prominent generals in the Trump administration. I want to tell you straight up that I welcome it. I certainly understand that there is meant to be a separation between the military um, and civilian life in America. I certainly understand that we have a, a civilian government and it should be led by civilians. But we're talking about generals in the Trump administration taking positions that are fairly specialized that require 
require uh, a great deal of knowledge. And some of the people who have this knowledge most readily are generals. You know, I read some stats recently that really grieved me. It had they had to do with how removed the average American is from military life. Just think about it. After World War II and maybe through the Korean War, 1950s, the average American family would have had somebody who served in the military in it. Almost every young man in every community went off to war in some way. Um, military life was near. Our president, you know, under Eisenhower was a general. And so people were close to military life. They followed military campaigns. They knew the ranks. They knew the insignias. Uh, they had boys coming and going, women coming and going in uniform from every community in the country, no matter how small. And so everybody had some sort of connection to the military. Well, now that's not so much the case. The military is sort of foreign. Uh, it's very possible for an American family to have no direct connection to anyone who's ever served in uniform and certainly not to anyone uh, who has ever given their life in the service of their country, whereas that used to be almost the norm uh, for American families. So there's a little bit of suspicion that is uh, being whipped up by the press uh, of these military leaders as though somehow there's a coup taking place in America. And I want to say, suggest that the opposite is the case, uh, that while the Republicans may be more turned towards the military than perhaps uh, the recent Democratic administration, that this is not a coup, that this is not something untoward, that this is exactly the way it should be. Let me tell you about some of these people who are in office. I respect them. I respect their culture. I respect their personal achievements. Uh, I've met some of them. I'm not best buddies with any of them, not claiming that at all. Uh, but I have met them at various uh, events, and some of them have been in the audience when I've spoken and things of that nature. Uh, General Mattis is a man I really respect. Uh, one of the most intriguing features about him is that he is a lifelong bachelor, um, and yet that, that doesn't come with any particular sexual bent. Uh, you can imagine what I'm saying. He just has chosen, as some men do, some women as well, to be a lifelong bachelor. Um, he is not a product of a military education, at least initially. He graduated from uh, a fairly uh, standard sort of middle-of-the-road university. He went to Central Washington University. His mother was an immigrant, by the way. It's good for us to keep in mind. He did get a degree, a master's degree from the National War College. What I like about him, perhaps the most, other than just his his amazing generalship and military leadership is that he is sort of a self-educated scholar. He has 7,000 volumes in his library. Now, I have a lot of books. Those who have been to my homes will tell you. And I bet I don't have 1,500 books. 7,000 is rooms full of books. And this man has read almost all of them. Uh, one little side story I'll tell you. I won't tell you exactly who this is, but uh, a U.S. congressman has some grandchildren, and they are very impressed with General Mattis. So they decided that they were going to start reading, now that they can read, they were going to start reading 7,000 books you know, and try to get up eventually in their lives to the number of books that General Mattis has. And so they got their first book as a gift from this grandparent who's in Congress, and the book has one slash 7,000, another the first of 7,000, um, 
are on written on the inside. So these kids are suck are consciously trying to catch up with General Mattis. I love that. Think of how many politicians, how many uh, other public officials are inspiring that kind of thing in the minds of the young. Uh, you just you just can't uh, you just can't admire this guy enough. He carries around uh, with him at all times a copy of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, one of the most influential um, books in world history. Influenced Truman, influenced many people, and some people, particularly I find military people, uh, find its short, pithy statements and meditations on leadership and conduct to be very, very helpful. Uh, General Mattis has served in the Persian Gulf Wars, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. Uh, he worked as a civilian for General Dynamic, Dynamics. They call him the warrior monk because he's a little bit uh, to himself. He's a little bit uh, scholarly. He does his job. He does it well. But he is one tough dude. That joke, that story about the bear rug is very much an example of what he's like. Uh, a, a reporter once asked him uh, how he would deal with the chaos and the mayhem on the battlefield. He said, ma'am, I cause chaos and mayhem on the battlefield. So you see what kind of man he is. You see how tough he is. He absolutely is in the right place as our secretary of defense, and he's going to do a great job with this. By the way, he disagrees with Donald Trump on a number of things. Uh, He's in favor of the two-state solution uh, in the Middle East. Um, He has different views of Asia. Um, I think we should probably give Donald Trump credit for the fact that he has appointed people who disagree with him. I think that may be one of his strengths uh, is that he does like to test people. He does like to push on people. He does like push back from people. And this is certainly what some of his just uh, generals are going to do. Uh, just this morning, I got up and found out that General H.R. McMasters uh, is now going to be uh, the president's national security advisor. This is after the, the firing of General Flynn, uh, who apparently lied to Vice President Pence about some matters related to Russia. Uh, I like this man very much, very much. And, you know, this is an example of uh, here is I'm about to describe an example of something that um, you you don't hear very much about. You know, these generals are not just war dogs. Uh, They are not just guys who live in the battlefield and chomp on cigars and swill whiskey and send kids out to die. Uh, They are often extremely well-educated. They often have had experiences that make them sensitive to war. Uh, General McMasters, for example, is, yes, a West Point grad, unlike uh, General Mattis, and Uh, Yet he has a master's degree and a Ph.D. in history from North Carolina, uh, one of the finest uh, history programs in the country. And for his doctoral dissertation, General McMaster's wrote a dissertation that was critical of U.S. uh, policy in Vietnam. Now, that's not very hard. It's obvious that was a failure. But the fact is, this is a thinking man. This is a scholar. And he's known for insisting that his troops read and that his uh, his commanders read and he, he issues book lists and and so on. And, 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 and just like, in fact, General Mattis does the same thing. He's interested in the intellectual side of leadership, uh, not just having small brains and big bodies uh, amongst his troops. And then one of the men I really like is General Kelly. Uh, General Kelly is head of Homeland Security for us now. Uh, one sentence from the Wikipedia article I read uh, as part of preparing for, to talk to you about this uh, really moves me. It says, before he reached the age of 16, he hitchhiked to Washington State and rode the trains back. Now, this is all the way to Chicago, uh, including a freight hop from Seattle 
to Chicago. So before the age of 16, this kid had basically hiked around the country. Um, I like him very much. I like general officers who uh, are non-commissioned officers earlier in their lives. Uh, General Kelly first served with the Merchant Marine during the Vietnam War. Uh, Basically, that was a civilian role. He said his first trip overseas was to carry 10,000 tons of beer to Vietnam, obviously for American troops. he became an, a non-commissioned officer. Now, for those of you not in the military, that means you're, in, you're a sergeant or below. It means you're not a, a lieutenant on up in the ranks. You're not an officer. You're non-commissioned officer. Um, and so he served in that role for quite a while. And I like, uh, like I say, senior officers who uh, were initially non-commissioned. And the reason is that uh, they, they know what it's like for stuff to roll downhill. They know what it's like to be grunts. They know what it's like to be privates and be ordered around and, and have their lives on the front line and, and, um, and be, be you know, beaten on, so to speak, and, and uh, maybe have risked their lives and watched friends die. Of course, people at any rank can do that, but the lower ranks are more likely to do it. He was finally commissioned in 1975. Um, he did get a... Uh, a master's degree in security studies from Georgetown. And uh, one of the tender things about John Kelly is that he had a son who was a first lieutenant uh, killed in Afghanistan. His son stepped on a mine there. So these families of these generals have paid a huge price, many of them just for simply having uh, a person of this high rank in their families. But more often than not, uh, these families also have uh, sons and daughters who serve in the military, and frequently they are killed in the line. So here are men whose head of homeland security lost a son in a U.S. war. You think these guys are warmongers? You think these guys are just empty-headed you know, muscle guys, like I say, chomping cigar and swilling whiskey and sending young people to die? No, these are scholars. These are soldiers. Uh, these are these are these are poet warriors. Many of them, um, they are thinkers. They read. Um, they they speak multiple languages. They they've been in numerous wars. They know how Washington works. They know how the battlefield works. I would suggest to some of you that you take some of the names that I've mentioned and go on to Wikipedia. Obviously, my reporting about this and talking about this today comes from far more than Wikipedia. But even if you'd never even heard of Mattis before today, or Kelly, or McMaster. Uh, you can go onto Wikipedia. They'll literally have a graphic of their awards and their medals and their ribbons. And I'm not just trying to get you to get excited about the military. I want you to see what these people have done. 30, 35 year careers. Uh, my father uh, fought in Korea, fought in Vietnam, uh, served in Berlin during the Cold War, um, I lived in a home like uh, like this. We literally had a red phone in our home in Berlin that glowed uh, when he was being contacted for some kind of an alert or an action or some kind of urgent thing. Um, it was not uncommon at all for my father to walk in the front door with his gun strapped on. Uh, at one point in our lives, our, our father came and went from a farm field in the backyard by chopper. Um, these are kind of cool childhood memories, but what I want you to realize is we felt connected to the mission of America. Living behind the Iron Curtain in Berlin uh, during the 70s, we were, we were in essentially a, an outpost of freedom in communist territory. Bottermeinhof gang um, called in bomb threats and tried to blow up our high school repeatedly. 
My point is not to associate myself with these things. My point is to explain why I'm talking to you with such passion um, and, and such zeal about this. These general officers are good people. They are often better educated than the other people uh, in Congress and the Senate. They have more experience. They have put their lives on the line. They have maybe sacrificed members of their families. And they're not one-dimensional figures. They are readers. They are thinkers. They are poets. They are adventurers. They are the very people uh, I would want turning to the president of the United States and advising on security matters. They are more likely not to put young people into harm's way, or at least not to do it unless there is a compelling reason, uh, a mandate, and uh, then a strategy that will mean victory and get out. I'm glad for the generals in the Trump administration. I'm glad particularly given that it's Donald Trump who is the president. And I say that with both respect and some suspicion. And I am grateful, I want to say at the conclusion of this podcast, uh, for the contributions of America's military men and women. We are better as a nation for them. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.